Hi, I'm Jess and I'm the oldest. Oi, I'm the oldest. I'm Shtee, I'm the dad and this is actually my podcast. And I'm Tommy, I'm the youngest. Welcome to the podcast. At the heart of hearts, we're all very creative. I've had a very interesting life. You've travelled all over the world. I remember being... Oh, interesting. This is not how I remember this story. story, story, story. Pints are not a good measure for filling Jacobs as fuel. <laughs> <laughs> Hello and welcome to episode 28. It is the September episode. It's the start of a new school year. And we've got special guest mutts in the house. Whoop, whoop, whoop. Part of the furniture yeah. now. I was going to say, I was trying to think of the, the right phrase, but that... I'm an old chair. We should add you into the intro. That's so true. Yes. I hadn't thought of that. I hadn't thought that you aren't in the intro, but I'm you're not, not are you? No. Yeah, she's a special guest. Oh, we should. Um... Well, yeah, that's true. You you can either trade in your special guest status for being in the intro, or you can stay out the intro and then continue to be a special oh, guest. Yeah. So you can take your pick, well, really. special guest sounds good. Special guest has a nice ring to it. I like the mm. idea of special guest who turns up most of the time. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. yeah. <laughs> special guest it is. Anyway, Stephen... Uh, a story or two for us today, have have we? We've got great <laughs> stories. Yeah, no, this is this is me hitting the big time, really. Um, and uh, I don't want to sort of uh, unnecessarily raise expectations, but I've got a cracker, a real cracker Ooh. for you tonight. Yeah, today. <laughs> for those people who I suppose are joining us new, the background to this podcast is me being an ordinary Surrey boy, generally wandering around the world in the last few years working for charities, international NGOs. Amongst all of it, I was one of the best paper people in Surrey. I was a paper boy. And now I've just started to work with Helen Taylor-Thompson, who we call Helen TT, usually. Or, indeed, as she was named for a short period, or in fact quite a long period, she was named Helen Yu, because (laughs) when you tried to save... When you tried to save her, her last name in your phone, it was in the days where you had to put letters in using the numeric keypad and because tt is i did it too quickly if you do it too quickly it comes out as a u and it saved as helen you and your phone and she was known known i've forgotten that very good memory thomas that's a cracking anecdote yeah (laughs) anyway tt was her real epithet Uh, and i was working with her after she had a vision uh, age 78 in the middle of the night to educate the world's poorest people using modern technology And last time, episode 27, if you missed it, recounted how my biggest gig ever in front of an audience and live TV TV cameras was scotched at the outset by a blown fuse. So you might say it's the story of my life. But anyway, that was last time. And I also trailed this time another launch because Helen TT loved launches. We had loads of launches of this project um, and we'd arrived by this point that this educational tool being based around the new technology of DVD, believe it or not. And she said, let's have another launch. Let's go big. Let's make it 10 Downing Street. Tony Blair. (laughs) So she wrote off to uh, Downing Street and discovered that... um, in fact, there's a, a sort of a system that they uh, allow charities to hold events there. And it was actually really under Cherie Blair's um, auspices that this happened. So um, Cherie Blair was duly written to. And I think we waited a, about a year um, before they wrote back and said, yes, you could have had this date. So uh, we trooped down there for a pre-meeting 
and um, Downing Street was a bit disappointing actually because it was it was hugely um, sealed off. It has these great iron gates which I didn't realise. Um, right, the whole street is sealed off. You have to go through this great portcullis type thing and show your security and went in and discussed what we we're going to do and Helen had had another idea which was to bring over somebody from India who might be a future user of this project's um, technology and she had a friend called Sister Lizzie who was an Indian nun and uh, she wanted to bring her over so that she could add some drama and power to the whole kind of evening and when we had this pre-meeting they said um, well there's some there's some fixed red lines and one is you have to write a speech for Cherie to read so that she says the right things, Cherie being Mrs Blair, a.k.a. wife of the serving Prime Minister. Uh, and also, if Sister Lizzie comes, which we reluctantly agree to, um, and if she talks, she must talk for no more than five minutes, absolute maximum. People aren't allowed to talk in these events, but we'll make a special exception and she must only talk for five minutes so off we went to sort of do the organization and invite the great and the good and the idea was to sort of I think really attract some funds um so Helen who was already quite well connected uh got up a list of people she knew and people she didn't know but she thought had a lot of money and uh letters and emails were, were duly sent out in fact mostly letters actually because she liked to um personally hand address envelopes and post them with a stamp on them because uh, mm. uh, she felt that was sort of more interesting than, than getting an email um, but to just hold that in your minds for a moment because a side story which is not actually to do with me but it's, it's very interesting is that um, the reason we wanted to bring Sister Lizzie over from India which might seem to be an expensive thing to do wasn't so expensive because uh, my good phony friend, who I keep referring to, and he featured in episode nine, I think, has at that time had five children. And he decided, his Andrew was his name, he decided to go on holiday with his, his family to South Africa. And his daughter Lois has a severe life-threatening nut allergy. So uh, they made very great... Um, care to be sure that um, British Airways who were carrying them from London to Johannesburg were well aware that on the flight Lois should be served any food that was nut free and um, so the plane took off and uh, somewhere over northern Africa the uh, the meal was served and Lois received a meal that had a sticker on it saying uh, nut free and she opened it up and took a gulp of the stew or whatever it was with her spoon. And then she looked at what she was eating and she saw peanuts were floating in it. Um, just like very obviously. What? Yeah. So fortunately they always travelled with these EpiPen anti-shock things. So she had to have that. And there was a point at which they thought the plane might have to land somewhere in the middle of Northern Africa. But in fact it was all, wasn't quite such a drama as it might have been. But... Um, Andrew, who was not one to pick a fight with and whose daughter had been put in a very threatening position, uh, took on British Airways. And it's not the first time he's taken on various people, but hmm. he took on British Airways. 
who in, immediately said it wasn't their fault, if you can believe it. How and could they then, say that? Well, their case was that they subcontract their catering to a company called Gate Gourmet. And I'm naming all of this because it's, uh, it's, uh, it, it's a matter of public record. It was, um, uh, and, you know, it, it, it was a very serious mistake. So British Airways said it wasn't their fault, it was their caterer's fault. And the caterers um, said that they had, weren't responsible for the chain of information as to who stuck the label on. And uh, Andrew found out, and he, he was, he's a great one for getting freedom of information um, out of companies who don't really want to get, get it. And he received loads of documents, lots of which were blacked out and sort of mm. redacted. But he discovered that if you held them up to the light, you could read through them and see what was actually what was said. And so, anyway, the long and the short of it was, uh, I think they offered him they offered him a, a fifty pounds and a return trip to Paris, um, which he didn't think was anywhere near no. ad- adequate. Um, and this went on for ages. But to cut this extremely long story already shorter, uh, he finally agreed. Uh, payment of £5,000 to, to Lois, but crucially, five free return airline tickets to anywhere in the world, so long as they went to a charity. Ta-da! Ah. So, so and, and he was all along, he was, that was his stipulation, because he said, I'm not, I'm, I'm not trying to get money out of you, I just don't want this to happen to someone else, because they mm. could die. And... Uh, he, d- he discovered that if in the airline industry, if you're a VIP and you buy a ticket, like if you're a, a government minister or somewhere, your ticket is, is tracked and marked all the way through from sales right through to the boarding gate to, the, um, to getting your seat, to getting off the other end. Everybody in the whole chain of command knows that you're a VIP because it comes up at every stage. If you, if you order a nut-free meal, um, it's almost random whether it ends up in the right place or not or was at that stage this is going back a long time this is Mm. 20 years ago so anyway that's why we thought we could bring sister lizzie over because we had a free airline ticket and so she stepped on a plane and um, so how did how did you know sister lizzie uh, it was helen who'd had the contact and uh it was i i'm struggling to remember the actual detail of it because she hadn't been to india but um she was part of a network i think that uh that Sister Lizzie had been... And Sister Lizzie presided over an orphan, uh, a, a children's home, really, um, where she was educating young women. And Helen made the connection with the, um, the educational tool that we were trying to produce. Mm-hmm. So, so the day finally dawned. Sister, Libby, Sister Lizzie came in. Oh, that's right. And one of the other people on the guest list that Helen thought would be good, uh, she said, now... Chelsea Clinton is studying at Oxford. She would be rather good, wouldn't she? <laughs> so she wrote, and Chelsea at that stage was 20, 21 or something like that, and she was studying in Oxford. Um, and uh, she duly accepted the invitation. So uh, we all pitched up for this evening. There was a guest list of about um, 80, I think, as I remember it. Trooped in, got through the security into Downing Street. It's all quite exciting because it feels like sort of the the heart of power in a way um and uh chelsea was very late and we didn't really want to start without her because she was one of the vips if you like 
so uh, we were sort of and Cherie Blair hadn't come into the room yet she was waiting for Cher- for Chelsea to arrive and in the end they did all come in and uh, I, I mean I, I smile a little bit although it's a sort of ironic dark smile because Chelsea's reason for not being on time was that she had been to see Prime Minister Blair uh, in his in his office to offer the support of the American president, i.e. her father, for the actions in the Gulf War, which had just taken off in, in those days. So right at the outset of that whole meeting, I was sort of plummeted into confusion and muddle about, you know, my goodness, this is... This is really, you know, this place that I thought was a centre of power and therefore a good thing suddenly mm. has has got two very different sides to it. Um, it seems so leads... unlikely that she would be able to do that. Because just because you're the daughter of someone doesn't mean that you... Well, maybe it does mean that you have, like, political sway. Well, I think in America it sort of was a bit of like a dynasty, like the Bushes, you know... Mm. Um, it, it you are very connected through through your family i think and um uh chelsea will feature either later on tonight or in another edition again but anyway uh, the other thing that happened about her presence is that the the um after the whole event uh, there was a sort of a, a a supper that we put on to kind of wine and dine these people to try and get them to 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 chip in and um, that was at the Oxford and Cambridge Club, which I've mentioned before. And I've mentioned their rules before. But one of their rules is that no person may enter the building if they're armed, which is a very reasonable rule, I would suggest. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, but, but Chelsea didn't travel anywhere without um, two, two armed, armed guards. guards. Wow. So there was a huge hoo-ha as to whether she would be allowed in or not. And you remember, I was nearly not allowed into the Oxford and Cambridge Club for not having a jacket. Yeah. <laughs> did we have a jacket, son? <laughs> and, did we um, want Did we to? have a holster? <laughs> <laughs> What's that? Yes. So um, I don't know how that was resolved, but it was a major thing that, um, that there was... Good. It was almost a diplomatic incident because, you know, she normally would just go anywhere she wanted without and everyone would be just bowing and scraping and saying oh how nice to see you thank you for coming blah, blah, blah. so it was quite an interesting little standoff anyway I don't know how it got resolved but um we did she did go into the Oxford and Cambridge club and I had for a while the contact number of her security agent and he, he was a very curious chap um speaking to him on the phone it was like he didn't want to breathe in case he gave anything away <laughs> any, mm. se- any, any secrets but um uh anyway so so we had we got into the room Chelsea and Sheree came in uh the first thing that was good to happen was that sister Lizzie was to speak and meanwhile I had written the speech for Chelsea for Sheree because nobody else seemed to want to do it so I'd written this 15 minute speech very eloquent I believed at the time and um, you know making the important points and uh, Cherie had it in her hands I could see it as she came in and um, Sister Lily got up and spoke and she spoke for 25 minutes <laughs> oh no wow. no oh, yes I mean nobody stopped I mean exactly yeah, um, it's like amazing that nobody's nobody but why is she only allowed to speak for five 
Why is a very good question to ask at all points. Mm. I mean, there's no sense in it, no sense in it at all. Um, I'm also really interested that you are allowed to write a speech for Sharita to read. Yeah. Because it's almost like you could then say whatever you... I mean, I assume there were, like, notes given and, like, they would have amends and stuff, but I don't know. It seems really interesting that you get to decide what sh- what her opinion on it is, almost, is what it sounds like. Well, it, it felt... It felt um... Well, it felt exciting, is the truth of it. And Mm. just in brackets, I would say that um, all of this I found very seductive. I found it very, very kind of interesting and attractive, just being close to people who are celebrities. And and, uh, I had to sort of really bring myself up at some point in this this working with Helen because she was used to dealing with all sorts of Mm. people at all sorts of levels. But I found that I was kind of thinking, oh, well, you know, I've, 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 been, I've been with Cherie Blair tonight, that's great. And actually, you know, it isn't any great, anything greater than being with our neighbour here, for example, in, in one sense. Um, but anyway, so Sister Lizzie spoke for 25 minutes, nobody stopped her and nobody wanted to stop her. She, she was the most eloquent possible advert for our, for our project. She was... Oh, great. Uh, she was just saying that how the lives of young women in India are plagued by a lack of, of proper education and how they drop out early, have families and never recover from that. Um, and that, that, you know, all of her working in the ch- children's home that she was working was about giving those young women a better start, a better chance and choices. And it was kind of like, wow, you know, if we didn't, I mean, she hadn't been scripted. She just got up and talked, mm. and mm. it was powerful. Um, so then Cherie stepped forward, and I was kind of like heart in my mouth type of thing, wondering if my grammar was good enough, wondering if uh, it could have been done better by somebody else. Well, it certainly could have been done better by somebody else, but there wasn't anybody else. So anyway, she stood there with my speech in her hand, never looked at it once, didn't even, <laughs> never, never referred to it, never read a word of it, never spoke a word of it, never made any... And, and I thought of all the agony I've been through to put all yeah, those sort of construct yeah. sentences. And, but she was jumping off from what Sister Lizzie had said. And, mm. um, I mean, she's a consummate sort of communicator, really. And uh, it was far better than any speech I would have written or could have written. So... Um, we we finished that session, which was about an hour, I think, in total, um, feeling that we had done the very, very best we possibly could uh, to give to in to draw in the audience that was around us, mm. and um, and then we went down to have supper and went away with a great sort of warm, cozy feeling. What came out of it? Not very much, I would oh, think. Oh, really? Yeah, I I can't think of any substantial donation that came out of it um Mm. there might have been one or two contacts who were helpful over the years that followed but I thought then as I think now that all of this celebrity kind of status um all of the kind of well-known figures wealthy people mostly they're not worth the effort Um, (laughs) that's interesting they come at a very high cost and I remember talking to somebody who had had royalty come to visit and they'd spent months preparing security sweeps. And he said, after it, I just felt used. He said, I, I felt, I felt, you know, they, they 
swanned in, swanned out, and we were left kind of with expenses mm. and costs and no real benefit. So anyway, it's interesting. Uh, it's sort of uh, notoriety, isn't it? Like, I guess celebrity brings brings more interest. Like, you know, I'm, I'm speaking very generally, but if you have a celebrity at something, then the press are more likely to be interested, other people are more likely to be interested. It's kind of interesting what you were saying about be, feeling drawn in by by that mm. that sort of thing of celebrity but i think i think part of what not for everyone obviously but part of what makes someone a celebrity is their natural charisma i think i think for the lots of people who become well known have something inherently kind of charismatic about them which mm. so i think it makes total sense that you sort of feel kind yeah. of drawn to it it's definitely why i got so famous yeah <laughs> Charismatic Tommy Bobs. <laughs> so you'd be famous if uh, you wanted to be. Which brings me, which brings me to prime ministers. I just wondered, uh, like, I mean, Tony Blair, for example. I don't know what uh, impression you have of him as a prime minister, or as a person, or any other prime ministers come to that, or was I he think, done? I think Tony Blair specifically. I think I was too young to really know what. Mm. I mean, I haven't looked at the years, so I'm worried I'm gonna expose how no. uh, rubbish I am at politics but I think I feel like with Tony Blair I was too young to really he came in understand in the ins and outs of it mm. so yeah so yes so I feel like in my brain I was like like what you said earlier today I was like he's the prime minister so he's a goodie and I think just like people being in charge I was always like oh they must be the goodie mm-hmm. sort of thing which obviously isn't always the case um well I mean, that's a subjective thing to say, though, isn't it? Because to some people, the Prime Minister might be a goodie and others it might not be, depending on whether you'd voted or not. Um, I agree. I think I think Tony Blair was the prominent Prime Minister when I was... Oh, when we were both children. So mm. there's something about familiarity of a face when you don't necessarily understand politics that, that yeah, I agree. I sort of certainly was like, hey, that's the Prime Minister, therefore this is all good. Mm. And then obviously everything that happened in terms of the Iraq war and and the kind of response to that was, I mean, the protests against the Iraq war was the first time I remember Mm. there being real big kind of angry protests in, I think that was was the first, yeah, the first sort of set of protests that I think I really remember. Because we, like, there was a big thing when I was at school and everyone sort of walked out Mm-hmm. Um and and I think I was in year eight maybe at the time, and I certainly had no kind of basis or knowledge of of really what was going on, as to why everybody was walking out. And I think probably for a lot of the younger kids, it was just a bit of a, maybe an excuse to kind of, leave school and sort of do something. But mm. but thinking back on it now, and you think that the the fact that people a person a government's decision could inspire that much you know that much protest oppressed yeah mm. unrest even uprising up uprest uprest and then i was just thinking gordon brown directly followed tony blair is that right for a very short period yeah yeah mm. yeah cuz i i also have a really sort of key memory of being like oh like Tony Blair isn't the prime minister because I think because the whole time that I'd sort of been conscious of it it was Tony Blair so then when it changed I remember being really confused of like 
Oh, I, I can't... I didn't realise this was something I had to adjust to. Well, <laughs> similarly, I feel like I kind of came into an understanding of what Margaret Thatcher did to, in in my opinion, kind of ruin a lot of things in the country way later than... Well, obviously way later than it actually happened because it happened before, <laughs> really, before I was alive. But when I was... I think I was at university when she died and when that news came through, uh, there was someone in our house who was absolutely over the moon. Like, oh, yes. just like, yes, yes. Uh, you know, and the kind of the witch is dead, that thing that people kept yeah. saying. And yeah. I, I, I remember feeling surprised because I thought, you know, it just, it seems at odds to kind of celebrate when someone has died mm. But I think that was also probably a big um, mark of my not understanding, you know, this person was from, uh, he'd grown up in the North and what she had done had had a massive impact on, you know, how, how he'd grown up and his family's life. And so I was just sitting there being like, oh, you know, can it have been that bad? And then you think, mm. you don't, you, you know, I just, mm. I just was really unaware of how, mm. of how, kind of how bad it all was. Is it Billy Elliot is with the miners' strike? Yeah. That's, um, yeah. shows, yeah, what, what Maggie Thatcher, part of what she did. I think her legacy of individualism as well is, it's still going, it's still going strong. This idea that, like, look after yourself as the prominent thing. And I just think... I feel so sad that it so destroyed the sense of community, which this is sort of a ridiculous thing to say because, again, it's not like I lived through it, but I feel like that that idea has just seeped its way into into the whole way that our kind of society works, you know, of just of kind of capitalism and, and making sure that you earn mm. money and that, that your small circle profits. And I just think... You've got a bigger car than your neighbour. Yeah, imagine she, if we she, all um... had a nice big limo that we shared... <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> yes Jess they're called buses yeah, I mean, as soon as I said that I was like I don't actually want a limo what am I talking about <laughs> I think I mean, that's a nice idea she, she, she definitely wasn't only on her own responsible for that but she definitely contributed high, you know, very largely to it in Britain I think um, but the truth of it is I think I've realised is that there aren't goodies and baddies there's just people who are mixed you know, the people do good things and bad things. O- overall, they may go in a good direction or a bad direction. But the, I, th- I think when you finally arrive in 10 Downing Street, now, of course, no, I know what I'm talking about now because I've been in 10 Downing Street. <laughs> <laughs> um, you find that all of your aspirations, you, you can't do most of them because you're always choosing the lesser of two evils. Um, but just on go, Tommy. I saw you open your mouth. I was just going to say we're dangerously close here to being sued by Disney because this whole, what you've just been talking about is very very similar to the plot of Star Wars. <laughs> there's good and there's bad in all of us, and we might go one way, might go the other. Well, let the record show so. that I've never really t- understood the Star Wars theme, even though you've explained it to me a dozen times. So I'm I'm going to be, but just on just on the Tony Blair thing, who I think made huge errors of judgment and maybe even worse than that. He was a massively charismatic figure, mm. and I can say that because I went to his house one time a bit later on Ten in this Downing whole Street. project. <laughs> <laughs> no, <laughs> after 
after he left Downing Street and after he was Prime Minister, he has a private residence in Eaton Square, I think, in London. In the connections where this digital learning tool was to be tool to was to be used, we had this link with what was supposed to be Nelson Mandela's nephew. Now, nephew is a fairly loose term in this context, but this was Joseph and Mabel who mm. we went to see on our South Africa trek, mm. if you remember. those names. I remember him well. Yeah, so Joseph and Mabel came to England um, and we were using using them, really, to try and generate a bit of interest because obviously the link with Mandela was, was, very, was very powerful. And um, so there was a meeting set up at Tony Blair's house, but with Cherie, not with Tony, with Cherie, um, following the Downing Street reception to see what could be done about a particular thing, which was um, the, 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 the learning tool was divided into a number of subjects and it started with HIV and AIDS, but it, we were looking at trying to help people stop being trafficked, um, human beings being sold into slavery and being trafficked. So we were doing a, a, a lesson on that. And this meeting in, in Tony Blair's house was to do with that because Cherie was very interested in, in that whole subject and she was a patron of a charity called Stop the Traffic. So we had this meeting set up and I was to go and broker it. And it was in London and I got on the train from Leamington and I had to change at High Wycombe to get into the right station in London. And there are various... Uh, Reading, sorry. Big pardon at Reading. And there are various trains from Reading into London and there were two trains and one was a fast one and one was a slow one and I got on the wrong one and the slow one stopped at every little kind of village hall and bicycle store shed all the way along the way and um, I was expecting to be on the fast one that didn't stop and just got straight into Paddington net result was I more or less missed the meeting <laughs> and somebody else oh, yeah. had to um, I, I couldn't believe this it's like my gig in India my biggest gig you know and I something went wrong mm. anyway it didn't matter but I got to I got to his house and there were four uh armed guards on his steps with huge guns and I was thinking gosh this is going to be a bit of a challenge and the, the first one said hello mate what's your name I said Stephen Clark oh yeah in you go and that was it <laughs> I was on the list <laughs> I was on, on the, the list. list so anyway and I caught the very last bit of the meeting with Joseph and Mabel and Cherie Blair and at the end of it um Cherie said, should we get Tony down? See if we come down for a picture. Oh, so, a tone. Yeah, pretty much. Pretty much. Anyway, why I've told you that whole rigmarole is that he entered the room and he just lit up the room. I, I can't explain it. I, it's just amazing how, without doing anything at all, he just emanated something that lit up the room. It's incredible. Quite incredible. And so the question is... Is that something that existed anyway, or is that mm. something that exists because because he's been given the chalice of power? Yeah, is it because mm. he knew that and could sniff it? Yeah, exactly. You knew he was important. I reckon it's a bit of column A and a bit of column B. I Isn't think it always had a bit good of, and bad? Both he had of a little us. candle. He had a little candlelight initially, but then the chalice of power plus the candle equals iridescence. Now, let's make some merchandise and get that on a mug. <laughs> because if, if the Queen had come into a room but you didn't know she was the Queen, you might have just thought she was a little old lady. I think 
there might have been something a bit different. I, I, there's a difference though between the Queen and Tony Blair because the Queen got given power, whereas Tony Blair took it, or rather, earned it. Right. So, I, I, my, my sense. I'm not sure what my point well, is. Well, my point is, my sense was that he was that he had an intrinsic chemistry mm, quality that, I, I think there was an intrinsic chemistry that, that's and i've met quite yeah. a lot of people and and some of the people have been reasonably powerful and reasonably reasonably well known i've never experienced the same thing as as when he walked into him interesting mm. interesting so. stage presence i was wondering what you remembered if anything of our trip to south africa to see joseph and mabel because this is rolling ahead on the project after we had um installed DVD players and um, had got local partners there and, and they they were one of them and we, I think we first night in South Africa on our family holiday we went and stayed in their accommodation I don't know if you remember that particularly or not very much yeah I mean I feel like we could do a whole episode on South Africa yeah it was kind of, mm. it was kind of a mammoth trip let's do that I reckon I think let's we should because it's it was it was sort of three weeks of adventure you can this is the uh, first teaser yeah, we could do it next time. Why not? Ooh, episode 29, South <gasps> Africa. So 3,000 kilometre road trip. Really? Was that what it was? It was, yeah. <gasps> yeah wow. It's it a lot of miles. Mm. It's a lot, lot of kilometres, actually. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's also a lot of miles. It's such a silly thing I to say. I mean, it's, like, it's, it's, it's slightly less miles would have been a better thing to say. Not. <laughs> I, 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 I did not hear that it was kilometres. Okay. Kilometres. <laughs> so just to finish off this, this episode then, I'll stick with Chelsea Clinton, uh, who mm. um, after that event decided she was going to ring up and offer her support. So she did a search on the website to find out who to ring and came up with my mobile phone number. Now, I was cycling up the Tatchbrook Road, if you remember that. Mm. And there's a, there's a big, big hill that goes over the canal, a big sort of humpback bridge thing. And I was just at the sort of peak pedalling power and a bus overtook me and the exhaust was sort of more or less nose level, and my phone rang. So I was coughing and spluttering, red-faced, sweating, out of breath, puffing, not in a good position, and I answered the phone. I pulled the bike over, actually. Seriously, I'm not just saying that for safety reasons. I did actually do that. (laughs) And I um, answered the phone, and the person said, oh, this is Chelsea Clinton, the way they do. So... I was kind of like almost fell off my bike because I really had mm. not expected that. And um, it, she said, I want to know how I can help you. And so I said, well, we probably need to have a meeting to talk about that. And she said, I've decided that while I'm in England, I'm going to support two charities. She said, the British Red Cross and the Starfish Initiative, as we were then what? called at that time. And I was kind of thinking, <laughs> well, that's pretty, that's pretty good. So, yeah. um, so roll the camera forward quite a long way Chelsea graduates and she got a got a job in America with McKinsey's that's a management consultant and she went to work in New York and there was some toing and froing with her office about how she could uh, and anyway she said why don't you come and see me and we can discuss exactly what we're and I reckoned it was worth going to New York on one of these tickets the free tickets to mm-hmm. do that so I went with my friend Roger 
whose daughter was Katie, who you know, and uh, he paid his way to come with me. And the arrangement was to have breakfast with Chelsea and we've got a restaurant to go to. And the great thing that Roger and I discussed all the way was who's going to pay? And um, <laughs> we reckoned it would be a win if she paid. So off we went. And we arrived in New York uh, to a message from her office saying that it would have to be lunch, not breakfast. So that's fine. Uh, and the, the venue had changed as well. Now, Chelsea, working for McKinsey's, had got a contract, or McKinsey's had got a contract that Chelsea was seconded to, believe it or not, that was advising the National Health Service in, in Britain. And in fact, the, the, the part that's around Manchester. And I mean, I don't know the details of what that contract was. But in all the ironies of life, the reason that Chelsea was delayed getting to our breakfast meeting was because she had gone to Britain to do what? this bit of consultancy work and was coming back in time to meet us for lunch. So, I mean, that that's was completely uh, ridiculous. Uh, more than somebody complete. fired the PA. More than completely ridiculous. But yeah, sometimes that's the way it works. Um, anyway, Roger and I sat down. We had lunch with Chelsea, and she had a, an admin assistant with her. And um, it, I, I found Chelsea to be an absolutely delightful woman who uh, was not in control of her own life. Uh, everything was out of her control, and the the woman who was with her. Uh, had two jobs. Her first job was to turn down all requests for interviews, um, articles, uh, any any kind of thing. She just her job was to turn them down. And the second thing was to tell Chelsea what she was supposed to have done according to news reports, um, because the newspapers were just making up all sorts of stuff about her. And in fact, Chelsea she laughed, literally laughed, and she said, she said, um, apparently my my fiance was drunk at a bar last week and got into a fight. She said. I'm not engaged. I haven't even got a boyfriend. So somebody, somebody just made up that story. And um, it just throws a slightly different light on what some kind of celebrity people are having to deal with. Um, I, I found her to be very charming. And I've got a, four levels of involvement, which was from being a patron, just a name on a bit of paper, um, uh, hosting a, a, an event in New York for us, becoming a trustee. And the f- fourth one was to go to South Africa and open a, a digital classroom for us uh, with all the sort of associated presses on. And she said, I'll go for level four. And I absolutely fell off my chair, pretty much. I was so mm. excited about it. Mm. And she paid for lunch. So win, 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 win. <laughs> win, win. Except that yeah. she, wasn't in control, she wasn't in control of her life. And even though I and believe... she couldn't t- do it. I believe totally that was her real aspiration. She never did it and never could do it. And uh, mm. was almost uncontactable. That's such a shame. Mm. So after that meeting, that was sort of the end, was it? Nothing else happened with her after mm. that, in spite of trying. Mm. Um, well, we Chelsea, realized... if you're listening, this is your chance to pick it back <laughs> up again. <laughs> or if you know Chelsea, or her phone number. <laughs> yes. uh, actually... My dad knows Chelsea, so I'll uh, I'll get him to <laughs> drop you a message. Yeah, my dad had lunch with her once. <laughs> okay, get, get him to check his phone. He's probably still got his <laughs> old phone somewhere kicking around. <laughs> anyway, more in the un- unpredictable life of the ordinary Surrey boy who got dragged into international charity work. That is, that is, you know, that is a great story and also total madness. But I just, it makes me think, I know this is not the takeaway from it, but one thing makes me think is like, <laughs> 
I waft around being like, oh, shouldn't fly very often. Maybe I should try really hard to, you know, get trains everywhere in Europe and everything. Mm. And then you're like, there are just definitely lots of people who fly all the time. For a lunch. Yeah, fly for a lunch. Anyway, as as I said, that's not the takeaway, but it's... Uh... No, that's what I mean, in a way, it's a, it's a good takeaway because... Until until somebody does something, nothing's ever going to change. So I think the little things that we all do, they are important. So if if anybody out there does know Chelsea, or if Chelsea, if you are listening, stop flying so much, okay? That's what we have to say to you. This was twenty years ago. Don't forget where the whole um, was flying say. was good for the planet somehow through some media. No, spin. I was going to say the climate, but I didn't mean that climate. I meant the sort of whole kind of environment of no, that's even worse. The whole <laughs> time to now, you know what I'm trying to say. The whole the, the warming envir- of the globe. The no, no. environment <laughs> where we talk about climate was not the same. <laughs> no. Or the climate where we talk about the environment. This has descended into a, a chaotic madness as as uh, as we are wont to do. Yes. Well, that's it for that's it for episode twenty eight. Twenty nine coming along soon. Great. Featuring South Africa. Don't miss it. Thanks, Very exciting. Steve. Yeah. Thanks for some more good stories. Well, it's goodbye for me. Goodbye for me. It's goodbye. From me. And I have just one thing to say. Goodbye. 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 Goodbye.